What's up, guys? This past weekend, a trio of Texas players, including yours truly, were all the way out in San Diego, California for the beautiful weather, the beach, and the SoCal Open. Three of us combined for a total of 16 wins and two losses, all of us placing within the top 25. I asked Colin McDade and Nick Sutherland to join me this evening to talk about how the event went. All right, so where do you guys want to start? Uh, Colin, you took third place, man. You kicked some ass. Uh, what was your take on the event? Uh, just like last year, it was a top-notch event. Event the, uh, the the front line guys do an awesome job running events. Uh, it was my favorite event last year, and it was my favorite event again this year. The table setups were great. Uh, some of the some of the train was a little, uh, I guess, less to de- less than to be desired with those four wall uh, hill tables with the one big ruin in the center. But other than that, all the other tables are great besides those. But even then, uh, those were fine to play on. Uh, all my opponents were great. Uh, everyone had a really good attitude about the event. I didn't really hear about any like big snafus of like sportsmanship or or anything else. So it sounds like the event went off about a hitch hitch in like all regards. So that was that was really great to hear. Uh, I really enjoyed the event as well. Uh, all the tables were good. I played on one that was really. Uh, heavily dense terrain table i played on two that were light train and then i think like three that were medium so it was nice playing on a bunch of different tables uh is it's a huge uh venue so like you have room to completely walk around your tables which is really nice uh all my opponents were good i played uh the guy who got second place last year but he's playing g stewart colt so had an uphill battle uh against me this year and uh also played a nasty Raven Guard list, and then um, all that was my only Marine list. So went zero and one against Marines and five and zero against all the other factions. <laughs> so the one Marine list got you. <laughs> so I noticed um, uh, towards the I don't know about your takes, but towards the upper end of the tables, um, there were it, it almost seemed like there were quite a few more Magic boxes and things like that. Um, and I know my list uh, really favored that, where I could just hide my Eliminators in there and just kind of basically hide out a line of sight against like knights and stuff like that. Did you guys find that that was kind of the case for you as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the top tables definitely had a lot more magic boxes. Uh, I think I played on one that had like seven uh, and then another one that had five. Um, and uh, it was nice to hide my characters in them to start uh, deployed all my characters in the magic boxes that could go in them. Uh, I don't really have any uh, indirect fire, so I couldn't uh, really, interact with uh magic boxes unless i had boys go after them so uh but yeah definitely a lot of magic boxes throughout the event uh it's nice playing with magic boxes whenever you're not playing a night army (laughs) so uh colin why don't we uh why don't we talk about your your list real quick and maybe we'll start you know you went three and oh day one uh nick i think you went three and oh day one as well right or did you go two and one I went two and one day one and then three and oh to finish it out. Gotcha. So, but the three of us were sitting there end of day one, what, like uh, between six, eight and one between the three of us, which was pretty damn unexpected. I mean, we sat there at the end of the event basically and just kind of said, if you had told us going in there that the three of us collectively would have been, you know, 16 and two overall for the event, I think we would have said, get out of here. So it was a, it was a pretty damn awesome showing from all of us. But Colin, why don't we why don't we just kind of jump back real quick? You fit, you had a really hard match, first round, day two. You know your your first day went great. 
Um, why don't you kind of take me into your list and, and how it kind of functioned and kind of what your thoughts were going into that game and, you know, how it played out. Yeah, sure. So uh, my list was uh, Triple Battalion, Death Watch uh, Battalion with a Watch Captain and Librarian, three squads of veterans, decked out with Storm Shields, Storm Bolters, Terminators, Vanguard Vets, uh, then a Raven Guard Battalion with a Smash Captain, Chaplain, Scouts, two squads of Infiltrators, five squad of five-man squad of Centurions, and then a uh, trim down Blood Angel Smash uh, Smash Captain Battalion with 15 Scouts. In regards to my my opponents, uh, my first game I played against Nids. Uh, that was a pretty easy game. Uh, I think that was my only easy game of the tournament. Actually, uh, my next two games were were a lot tougher because I played Ben Jerk game two. He basically had Nixless, but instead of having 90 boys and all the mech guns, he had 20 mega knobs and tank busters, which tank busters didn't do anything for him because I killed those away really fast. And then it basically devolved into a slugfest between all my smash captains and the mega knobs. So thankfully I was able to win that, win that fight in the center of the center of the board. And once that happened, uh, it was pretty much game at that point because all he had left was Grotz and the Ludas and his shock attack guns, which I don't think ever rolled a ever rolled above a, a nine. So that really helped helped me there. And then round three, I fought against a triple repulsor Gilliman list, and I was on one of those really heavy mag magic box tables that Nick was talking about earlier. Uh, it was one of the towel tables, so like pretty much every piece on the board was a magic box which was really nice, even though he had three Thunderfire Cannons. He had three units that could go inside of boxes, so I pretty much just hid in boxes all over the table and uh, and won that way. But, uh, I mean, it could have had half the number of boxes on that table, and I think I probably could have pulled it out at that point. But, I mean, it just really helped me out in his – and uh, not to his favor, unfortunately. And then uh, game four against Siegler. I was really excited about this game because – I came here to play really good players and I got to play against really good players and Richard Siegler was definitely not the exception. Uh, he was a very exceptional player. Uh, I can definitely, I would definitely say he was my favorite opponent, not to say anything against the other five guys. Cause I mean, all my opponents were great, but he was above and beyond the, the best opponent I faced against. He was a, he's a great guy, uh, really laid back, uh, really cool to play against. Uh, his list was great. So going into the game, it was really interesting because it was the deploy first, go first mission. And you could either, uh, my thoughts, my thought, my thoughts were to go first so I could have my Saturians go up and trim out a ton of drones. I didn't get first turn, which actually ended up being in my favor because I got to pick deployment side and I was playing on that table with the four walls, the four wall hills and the big piece of terrain in the in the center we play we got donna war deployment so my thinking was okay well i get the side seeing into the building so i was able to get pushed up more into the into the center of the table of my centurions that i put up uh infiltrating and that basically forced the game for richard to have to come up and try to take the center which i know tal usually want to take the center anyway but it just made it that much more apparent to him to have to do that and it was interesting the way he had deployed, he had to burn Montcaw turn one to even be able to shoot at my Centurions, which that really helped me 
because then he couldn't do it again later in the game since he didn't have Shadow Sun on his list. So he did that, and with his advanced rolls, even with rolling advanced rolls, he was only able to get two Riptides around the side of the building to shoot at my Centurions, and then the other one he had to put on top of the building, which was a risky gamble on his part, I think, which I think he, he thought would pay off, but it for, unfortunately it didn't because he did not kill all my Centurions. He actually only killed two because he wasn't able to get any marker lights off. I was taking one-up saves, or I had a one-up save at that point, so all of his burst cannons were only making me take three-up saves, so I was able to pass enough of them to have three survive between the three burst cannons shooting because house firepower is not the same when they don't have marker lights going off. So I had three Centurions survive. My turn one, I basically shoot and try to kill some drone squads that he had put on the other side of the board to try to block out my deep strike for next turn. And then I had my three Centurions charge into his one riptide that was on top of the bi the building because we're playing with the way uh, charges work now that you can't block off charges. You can't have unchargeable units. So I was able to get three, three Centurions to charge in. One died to Overwatch between his three commanders and the riptide. And then the other two... Centurions were able to kill that Riptide because there were no drones within three inches of that Riptide, which that was a huge, that was a huge, I think that was a pivotal point in the game right there. Uh, killing that Riptide first turn because I was able to get seven wounds on the Riptide uh, because I was wounding on twos of a stratagem. And then uh, that, that allowed me to stay in the middle of the board until turn three. And I was able to capitalize on so many extra points because of that, that I just got so far ahead at that point. Even with, even with him kind of killing more of my stuff than I was killing his, I was killing just enough to stay ahead. And we calculated it out at the end of turn four that even if he maxed out all, all, all the points uh, turn five and six, I would still be ahead just getting the bare minimum points. So uh, we were kind of getting a little low on time, so we called it there. Uh, he was an excellent opponent, and I would love to play against him again. Um, he he definitely he definitely earned his uh, his title as the Nova champion because he was an excellent opponent. That's really cool. So you got to um, you kept going after that um, and got through your next match and your final match as well undefeated. Um, any any big takeaways from those? Uh, yeah, Iron Hand Repulsor Spam is still pretty good even with the nerfs. Uh, game five, I played on that same table again against the Iron Hand Repulsor list. Really nice thing about the Space Marine list, though, is that they don't screen very well. So deep striking armies actually do pretty, get, pretty, well, against, do pretty well against them, I think. Uh, the, guy, the guy I played game five, he was also a really great guy. His name was Jeff. Uh, he was playing uh, triple repulsors with Pharos, Chapter Master, Librarian, three Centurions, no, not three Centurions, uh, three Thunderfire Cannons, and then 15 intercessors, and uh, basically it was it was hammer and anvil deployment. So he kind of stayed pretty far in one corner of the board to try to zone out my deep strike. But the the centurions were able to kill one squad of intercessors with shooting, and then charge in and assault another one. So I killed off all of the screens right away. So basically he was forced to start screening his repulsors, which didn't work out in his favor either. He kept two of his repulsors together at one point, so I was actually able to charge two smash captains into him. One of them was my no overwatch smash captain. And between 
both of them fighting once and my warlord smash captain fighting twice i was able to kill two of those repulsors in one turn which i think at that point was the deciding factor of that game yeah because points wise i mean that's that's like almost a third of his army or a quarter of his army that's that's just gone right there right yeah it was about a third of his army and then uh it was pretty funny uh i actually got the third repulsor down to two wounds which even at two wounds with doubling the wound characteristic it's still only operating on last year i had gotten a death watch squad to assault it trying to finish it off with melee fortunately it didn't work out but he went to move it next turn and after moving it he only he could only move it a certain way to even try to get out of coherency of my squad and then uh he went to shoot in the shooting phase and i went and looked over and i was like hey you're still within one inch of my guys so he actually wasn't even able, even able to fall back with that repulsor that turn. And, and because he, yeah, so that, that basically cost him killing off that squad because then he tried to assault Pharos in that squad. And then at that point I wrapped Pharos with my squad. He was never able to kill enough of them to, to untrap Pharos. So they were stuck in combat the rest of the game. And that allowed me to, screen with the rest of my characters in my army at that point so i was able to get in the rest of his characters to kill off everyone back in his backfield except for two thunderfire cannons which that was pretty much game because he wasn't able to move the uh the last repulsor far enough away in the last two turns of the game to shoot anything else in my backfield and then your 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 last match that one if i remember right you were you were over at my table pretty pretty early um in the round while i was still going um so i take it that one kind of went pretty decidedly uh i i starting out i thought it was but then turn two and three i didn't think it would well let me take that back turn one i thought it would end pretty decidedly two i wasn't so sure three i thought it was again and then it kind of went back and forth because after that i was actually I was actually, yeah, I was actually kind of on the back foot. I made a, I made a big misplay actually turn one. What I should have done was instead of having my centurions kind of charge out and try to kill some of his dreadnoughts turn one, I should have just stayed hidden and forced him to either come to me or he would yield the field. And I would have won really, I would have won a lot more handily than I did. And then I probably would have ended up second with points. Uh, but I think that the other deciding factor in that game was when I killed both of his engineer squads on turn three, effectively keeping him from scoring an additional three points in that game. And from, and I was able to capitalize and score all of my secondary points, except for one or two, which secondaries ended up winning me that game. And then I was also scoring the bonus for the first three turns of that game as well, which got me up on a huge number of points. And he actually killed off most of, my, most of my army towards the end of the game and I was kind of on the back pedal the last two turns but I was able to hide enough and keep enough alive the last two turns he wasn't able to score enough points on me to to get ahead of me so I was actually I actually kind of pulled that out of the skin of my teeth after a big blunder first turn but it was a pretty sweet victory uh, he actually beat me at Bay Area Open earlier this year so it was nice to give him some payback Alan's a great guy uh, I actually played him last year at SoCal Open so it was nice to it's nice to get to play him again, and he's a great guy, and he's he's a hardcore ultramarine player, and he knows how to play them well. So hats off yeah. hats off to Alan to going five and one too. Well, we'll circle back, Colin, because we'll probably talk a little bit about um, what's coming up next and what what you might be doing with the list um, for the next event. 
and then uh, maybe kind of what's coming up for LVO. Uh, but Nick, I don't want to keep you sitting over there all quiet. You were running orcs this weekend. How did your how did your games go? Uh, it's the same list that I've uh, ran for like the past four or five uh, majors. Uh, it's twelve smasher guns, three shock attack mechs, one war boss on a bike, one big mech with a custom force field, ninety boys, fifteen ludas, and sixty grots. And that list, um, you, you've won two of the Texas majors with that list, if I remember correctly. That's correct. Uh, won El Paso and Houston with that list. Also won Iron Halo with that list. So three GTs. Very cool. So it was tried and tested and basically, you know what, if it's not, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Just keep going, right? Yep. And I thought that it had a very good chance against the Marines. I, I think uh, one of the two factions that still can stand up to Marines are Orcs. So I decided to just keep with it. And we saw that with the other players. I think Birdsong was one of the guys that was up there. Kil- Kilton was up there. Yeah, Birdsong, Kilton, Jerk did pretty good. Um, Orcs had, I think, a 52% winning percentage, so they were above uh, 50%. Yeah. So Kind of almost flying under the radar with how Tau is up there as well. Um, you know, they, they had a really strong showing. So, so your matches sounded like you ran into the Marine list um, early. So what happened there? Round three, yep. Uh, I played Matt Estrada. He ended up four and two. He was four and zero, oh, and then lost his final two games. Uh, he was playing Raven Guard. Uh, he had uh, three Centurions, a max squad of aggressors, nine Eliminators, uh, Thunderfire Cannon, a uh, couple Captains, uh, Lieutenant, um, squad of Intercessors. So just a bunch of infantry. Um, we played on a table that had uh, four uh, ruins. All of uh, the ruins were majorly line of sight blocking, and uh, they were all in our deployment zones. Um, I ended up uh, winning uh, the roll to go first, and um, I had an excellent turn one. Uh, I had my boys toe the line because I was like, um, he had, he had infiltrators, so I couldn't, um, jump boys, you know, I had to like go at him. And, um, so I killed uh, his squad of infiltrators. Um, I jumped my Ludus behind his lines, killed both his engineer squads. So, uh, I immediately denied him four points and, um, it was pretty much the best turn one that I could have hoped for. Uh, Turn two came. Uh, he came out of the restroom after my movement, and he was about ready to concede. And uh, then uh, I jumped my shock mech behind his lines as we were talking about him maybe conceding. And uh, my shock mech, I uh, spent four CP on him, and he uh, double shot and did zero wounds to aggressors. And so then he decided to play it out, and from there it just snowballed. Yeah. Changed changed his mind pretty quick on that one. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess we'll keep going now. We'll see how see how this turns out. Yeah, well, once once a uh, a unit that uh, is supposed to be able to kill pretty much anything in the game kills nothing. I mean, but that's orcs. Orcs are swingy. Hitting on fives is very swingy. Yep. Having a random strength is swinging. Random shots is swingy. There's there's a lot of fail points in that. But um, more Daka usually makes them pretty good. And uh, you get free rerolls, so nope. Uh, 
But it sounds yeah. like the rest of you know the rest of your games there. Um, you, you had a really good run basically through the end of the tournament, and you you finished seventh overall. Yeah, ended up with a seventh overall um, game four. I played Triptide with fifty drones. Orcs Orcs match up very well against Triptide. Uh, I outrange Triptide. All of my stuff is forty eight to sixty inch range. So just sit back, shoot enough of his drones, and then uh, decide to go after him. Uh, round five, I played um, Disco Lords and Doritos, another list that I just completely outranged, sit back, make him come to me. Yeah. And then uh, round six, I played uh, Gene Stealer Colt with uh, 40 Kraken uh, Gene Stealers. And um, I had first turn on that, picked up all 40 Gene Stealers. It was just Jeez. smooth sailing rounds four, five, and six. Yeah, seems seems like those were just, uh, you know, chances where they they really had to have like one or two things go really strongly for them and you were just in a position where you know you could just blast blast them from the other side of the table right yep that's exactly what it was um orcs uh, line of sight blocking terrain doesn't really affect orcs as much because we have the jump and so we can jump the lutas around we can jump the shock mech around and get the shooting lanes that we need uh, with 12 mech guns, you can put them all the way across your deployment zone. So, like, at least four or five will have line of sight to something all the time. So, yep, just outshot them uh, rounds four, five, and six. Well, both of you guys had, like, amazing results there. I mean, being being top seven for, for the two of you, Colin going undefeated, I mean, that's a that's an awesome result um, for that size of a tournament. Um, so hats off to you guys. I guess the from here. I guess the question is, uh, maybe Nick will will just kind of segue from or for you. Um, what's your take on the meta from what you're seeing? And and you know, do you think Space Marines are just out of control at the moment, or do you think it's going to get reined in? Uh, Space Marines are out of control at the moment. Um, it's very obvious. Uh, there's only two factions that can deal with Space Marines, and that's Orcs and Tau, and um, I even think Space Marines have lists that should beat Tau and Orcs more than 60% of the time. Um, the, the successor chapters are ridiculous. Uh, being able to take um, what, what you did, Minotaurs, and take a chaplain that can cast two litanies with a successor is just absolutely bonkers. I mean, that just opens up so many co possibilities and combinations. Um, the doctrines are amazing. The super doctrines are amazing. Um, it, it's just, there, there's so many ways to play Space Marines. That's another thing. You can make a sneaky Space Marine army. You can make a gunline army. You can make an assault army. Um, Space Marines are just really, really in a good place, and they're really, really fun to play. And it seems like a lot of the, a lot of the you know, top players that at least I had conversations with or even the folks that weren't there at SoCal, it sounds like a lot of them that have armies like maybe Necrons or Chaos are in a place where either they're taking a break from the game or they're thinking, you know what, I might as well just, if I can't beat them, I might as well join them. I might as well start my own Marine army. Um, do you think that's basically, it's basically getting to the point where, you know, if you're going to want to have a shot at say LVO um, based on this and assuming there's no big surprises in chapter approved, that's what you're going to have to run to have a, have a good shot at it. Yep, I, I definitely think um, unless Chapter Approved does some crazy, crazy stuff or Sisters are super, super strong, um, Space Marines are definitely going to take LVO. 
Colin, what about you, man? Um, what's your take on the meta and, you know, based on what Nick was saying? Uh, I pretty much agree with Nick's assessment. Uh, maybe not quite as in agreement that Space Marines are out of control, only in the fact that uh, they're, they are kind of expensive to pull off some of these tricks, like the 18 Centurion lists. While they won, I still think it's because they're so new and that people just haven't had quite enough time to adjust to them. And also 18 Centurions is like half your list. Uh, I really feel I really feel the biggest point to beating Space Marines is just learning how they all work now. Because there's so many different lists. Nick's right. There's so many different lists you can make with Space Marines. It's knowing how all these different lists can still be from the same book but play so differently, which is incredible that NGW was able to do this but it's also insane that they just had this in their back pocket and couldn't have done this with the other books that actually needed help instead of uh instead of just making space rings yeah so it's like ridiculously powerful as I, as I did it's almost like six new armies in a way right oh it it really is and it's even it's even more than that because not only do you have the basic uh chapters that we've known forever now you can mix it up even more with all the successor chapters like what Nick was talking about because it makes it it takes it makes so many more possibilities when you throw in them plus all the forge world chapters too because we were talking about uh red scorpions and their their shenanigans so they could pull off after after the event too uh I actually I actually think I, I actually think Gene Steel Occult could potentially go toe-to-toe with marines and the fact that uh I've don't see many space marine lists actually taking infiltrators because I think most space marine players are using the points to take stuff to actually kill stuff. So they're just not buying some infiltrators, which I think is pretty good for gene still occult players. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely still more, more of an uphill battle than it was before, but I don't think they're completely out of it. So do you think the infiltrators are just like, were they sacrificing those to take more centurions in most of the other lists? Because uh, they can be, like, of the troop choices, they're a little expensive. Um, but it kind of surprises me because I think, especially knowing that, mm-hmm. you know, most people knew people were running, you know, they'd, they'd expect aggressors, they'd expect centurions because, I mean, it was out there. Right. People were running those lists. Um, and I would think that, hey, most people are from a delivery mechanism are probably going to deep strike them um, or outflank with white scars, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think that people were just kind of figuring, well, infiltrators aren't going to stop that. Uh, I feel like all the space brain lists that were running the centurion style lists were going for max killing potential, which I mean, it kind of showed that it worked considering the, uh, the next two guys running space Marines around me, John Lennon and Steve Pramprim were both spamming centurion. So it makes sense. But like I played, I played against three Marine opponents. Uh, They were all more vehicle based and they were putting so many points into just sheer offensive power that I don't think they could have spared the points to put, or they either couldn't or didn't want to to spare points on infiltrators, which I think they just would have taken, I think they would have, they thought they would have taken away from their offensive power. But uh, the list I faced didn't have any screens whatsoever. So I was just kind of really surprised by that. And I think Marines are actually a really light screen army now. Uh, they can't screen as well as say tower orcs or gene stealer cult guard uh, or even or even de- or demon lists or or other other space marine lists 
also that don't that don't rely on like triple repulsors or the centurion list yeah and if you think about it we've only got what we have uh november december and january before lvo and mm -hmm. for gw to be able to squeeze content we've already seen some leaks about what's going to be in there probably through the rest the rest of the year so for them to be able to squeeze more supplements to bring other armies in line is probably very limited. Right. And, and if it's any anywhere close to the the flavor of what we saw with Psychic Awakening for Eldar um, or Eldari uh, factions, they it doesn't look like it's enough to really propel them above Marines. Um, and, and maybe some of these other armies that like chaos, for example, unless there's some big surprises coming in psychic awakening for them. Um, it seems like Marines are probably going to be riding that top slot probably until the beginning of, uh, of next year for the big fact. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't see them doing a whole lot of massive changes. I mean, chaos just got their big release quote unquote with vigilus ablaze and then Eldar, I guess Eldar just getting their, their their new release of Psychic Awakening. It'll be interesting to see what what if any of the other other armies get out of Psychic Awakening. Uh, Dark Eldar look like they could have some pretty decent builds coming out of this book. I don't know how it'll match up against Space Marines. Uh, I know my I know my our friend Dane and and I have been talking about it, and they seem they seem on paper like they could compete with Space Marines, but I think only time will tell. Uh, so in our group or in redacted um our dark elder player is uh still consistently losing to marines um he he's running gr uh, like a big grotesque bomb with taluses and racks um and so i don't know it's it's going to be an uphill battle to beat marines um i i think marines are not even at like they're not even optimized yet I think that's still happening as we speak. Like just thinking, like learning, like this is the first major that people really had some time to really plan out their Marine list. And by me going to it, I've realized that the Marine list that I had, although I think they're amazing and still could win GTs and majors, that yeah. there's better ways to do these lists. And like taking a Forge World chaplain that can cast two litanies. I had no idea that you could do that. Taking a Leviathan that you can make Raven Guard that has the character keyword and that you can deep strike. Oh I had no God. idea that you could do that. You could take a Leviathan, make it Iron Hands. You could give it a zero plus save, a four plus feel no pain, six plus feel no pain to everybody else. Like it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, we were uh, we were talking about what is it, the Red Scorpions Leviathan? That, yeah, Carapalm. Like, yeah, we were talking about all the things that all the rules that are on there, and it's funny because um, it's almost like um, one of the things we've been talking about. Uh, you know, our group has been talking about is just the the fact that there's so many units that are suddenly good that if you just go back before Codex 2.0, I mean, heck, Assault Centurions, right? They were not good at all uh, garbage yeah exactly and now all of a sudden they're amazing you know and it's just funny how how just like one little release like that well little release but one round of supplements and updates that in their own seem pretty innocuous can just completely take a take a unit from zero to hero well the the worst thing is, is that there's there's units uh like nick was gleaming at was 
that we're, we're not even seeing yet that are really good. Uh, like, like if you give a, a, a slow unit a delivery method and give them extra AP and make them immune to Overwatch, like they're going to become good. Like that, that's just that's just point blank, and that's why like so many assault centurions are coming like out of the woodwork. That's why they're sold out at GW. That's why Glasshammer bought fifty boxes of them. I mean, it's just that's just the truth. Um, so we've obviously got um, Colin. You and I are headed to Warzone Atlanta, um, not this coming weekend, but next weekend, and then we've I think. Uh, Nick, do you have any other events coming up uh, before LVO? Any big ones? Uh, no, I think LVO is going to be my next one. Uh, I might try to get one more GT in if I can find one. Uh, I would like to get another 220 to 230 score. So if there's a major one that I can see, then I'll think about it. Oh, I was going to say, you can always go to that pro tabletop event uh, in December. Yeah, yeah. Go, go try to win 5K. Yeah. Well, any last uh, any last thoughts here, guys? Because this is uh, this has been pretty good. Just kind of getting a get an insight on on your list and how they ran. Uh, I'm playing Marines for LVO. Uh, well, for me, I'm looking forward to Warzone Atlanta in two weeks. I guess I have a pretty big target on my back now. I guess for that event, it'll be interesting playing in a different a different non ITC format. I'm curious to see if the list can stand up the same. Uh, I have not played a whole lot of the Warzone Atlanta format, so that'll be interesting to see if I get tricked up on that or not. Uh, I need to start looking at the list for that event, too. Uh, it'll be interesting because they're not allowing Psychic Awakening, so it's actually like we're taking a step back from the current meta and going back a second step in time before Psychic Awakening came out. Yeah, that's a good question right there. So do you guys do you guys think with how GW is rolling the releases out that it's better to just wait until, you know, Kind of like how they did with SoCal, where up until, what was it, a week before or the actual week of or the Friday before, um, if something comes out, it's legal there at the event? Uh, I think uh, I, I think uh, as soon as list gets submitted or as soon as they have their uh, list set in stone, stone due date, that that's when uh, all the roles should be locked in. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree. Uh, I, I guess I would want to go with like a two-week uh, deadline before before the event to have lists locked in and any new material uh, at least two weeks out. So at least given that two week time, hopefully you'll have a fact or something come out, or at least have have time for the tos to see the new rules for anything that do come out two weeks beforehand to kind of see like, okay, is this too powerful? Does anything need backing? So they have time for themselves to think over it as well as players to read and adjust it and ask them questions so they know the rules ahead of time a week in advance so they know what to plan for because I know I know the Gene Steeler cult players did not like getting blindsided by the GSC uh, facking of their rules like the week of the event yeah that was a pretty big surprise yeah and I think the whole community was surprised by that also and then when GW changed that in the big facts so I think whatever TOs can do to avoid a huge shock to the players right before a big event would be the smartest way to go about this, even with GW's fast release pace, fast fast paced release schedule now, because it's hard to keep up with. Like, like uh, even even top players now, I think are are having a hard time keeping up with how much new content they're putting out. It's hard to keep track of it all. Well, yeah, I mean, we, there's all sorts of things like even the Phoenix Awakening stuff. Just 
knowing, I think one of the hard parts is just knowing when certain things can get triggered, whether it's a, hey, is this a reactive stratagem or is this an actual, you know, hey, this is something I have to do at the start. Um, you know, little things like that can really, really change. I mean, basically entire strategies for a phase and knowing, knowing that and, and being able to keep up with all that can be real challenged. How, how do you do it, Colin? Uh, I guess I'd have to say practice, practice, uh, reading review articles that come out on Facebook. I mean, it's really, it really just boils down to reading it more, uh, reading and playing as much as you can. Uh, whenever you're taking a break or something, uh, just read over the rules and I guess, uh, look out, look out for new adjustments. Uh, any articles you might see on like the, the internet about new stuff that you might need to watch out for. I don't, I don't know if there's really a way to go about it other than actually playing it out, testing it, and just reading more about it. Mm -hmm. Seeing it actually play out on the table versus just theory, right? Yeah, exactly. Nick, what's your, what's your take, man? How are you keeping up with everything? I like to be blindsided by it. <laughs> so you get, it shocks your system and then you never forget? Yep, that's the way. I, uh, if I lose an event because of a gimmick, then I'll never forget that gimmick again. And yep. And most of the time, like I, I play a very resilient army. So like I have multiple threats. So if you have a gimmick that takes out one of my characters or something, I still think I can compete in the game. That makes a lot of sense. So you, you go for more like the, I've got all sorts of tools to deal with this. You can take away that tool and the rest of the army still functions. Yeah, pretty much. Um, like, uh, in uh austin uh war games con um i totally forgot about uh the elder psychic uh, leadership bomb and lost my shock mech that way and i'll never forget about it again there you go and uh in denver i didn't know about the vitrix guard uh being able to attack in the charge phase i'm never going to forget about that again <laughs> you know it's just, just the way that i learned more more sneaky marine <laughs> Well, speaking of speaking of sneaky, I'll probably end with the last question. What's your guys' take on the magic boxes? Are they, you know, Nick? I, I'm probably going to get a hot take from you on that one. So I've uh, I've lost GTs because of magic boxes, and um, I think knights cannot interact with magic. But like, if you're playing knights, then if so, if you're in a heavy magic box table, you're probably going to lose. Uh, but I think they are good for the game. I really do. Um, they're, they add an element uh, that really, you really have to build your list around to uh, be able to interact with them. Right, like having to at least take Iron Storm pods on your knights, right? Something to, to get at the stuff. <laughs> Those don't work. <laughs> that's, that's not enough to deal with magic boxes. So, yeah. So, I like, I was shocked that uh, Junior's list uh, got all the way as far as it did. I thought three knights were dead. Yeah. There were there were some tables where I think the Necron ones were real tough because there were there were two big magic boxes on there and you could almost put like an entire I mean two entire star uh or not death stars, but you know, two entire blobs in both boxes and just kinda play the game from there. And that's kinda that's kinda what happened in my match. Um even though I lost against Jackson, um, that's kinda what happened in that match where I just took the two boxes in the center. And at that point it was kinda like, well, most of his army was tanks and get dudes on bikes. And so he only had like three or four, you know, or two or three custody dudes or, you know, infantry guys that could actually get in there and mess with my army. 
So just being able to target them with the eliminators and, and take them out over time. But um, Colin, what your army basically can doesn't care about magic boxes, right? Like you love them. You can you can take almost your entire infantry and just put them wherever. Yeah, I think my I think my list is pretty unique in the fact that I could play on any type of table whatsoever. Uh, I mean, I played I played on three of those uh, hill hill tables with the one ruin and in, in the center in three games, and I won all three of them just because of how flexible my list is and deployment. And then I also like just in the more terrain you put on the table, the better for me. I I think more terrain is better for the j- game in general. Uh, I think it's I think magic boxes are one of the things that are keeping Marines from just completely dominating uh, more than they already are actually, because most of the Marine lists that I think we're seeing right now, other than the Centurion lists, don't really interact well with Magic Boxes. Uh, I mean, granted, granted, of course, uh, you can have the Centurions hiding in the boxes, but at least armies have a way to stop them from getting into the boxes, and at least they can't, at least Centurions can't shoot into the boxes, at least. So there's that, that people can use against them. Yeah. Do you think a time is coming where we're going to have to have guidelines on how much terrain should be on a table? I mean, they've had it in years past in previous editions. Uh, Nova already has a, has a format for theirs, for their, for their terrain guidelines. Frontline kind of has their own thing with their, their own terrain sets. So I really think, uh, I really think there needs to be like guidelines on how you should set up terrain uh, it'll be interesting to see if we do have that, but I also don't think it should be set to one table type standard, like one one table uh, type of terrain for all tables. I think the complete event should have three to four, maybe five layouts with varying amounts of terrain uh, and in different styles. Uh, I think you should have my my ideal tournament format would be four different types of tables. There would probably be the the more open style table that uh, I played Ben Jurek and Richard Siegler on with the one big kind of open ruin and four walls. And then you have a version of that with uh, maybe replace two of the walls with L's in the corners and then a magic box in the center. Then you have some of the frontline tables that have two not quite as big boxes in the center or one box and one L in the center. And then you have the uh, the Nova style table. Uh, did I, I didn't mention that one yet? Did I? No, I don't think so. That's similar to what Nick, if I remember, that's similar to what you guys have in Dallas uh, for for your event. Um, you get those giant L's. Yeah, de- definitely uh, giant L's uh, for the Nova. So I, I definitely think L's are one of the tables that there should be. Um, but yeah, I, I like where Colin was uh, headed with this. Uh, I like four maybe even five different Mm -hmm. uh layouts of terrain and just repeat them over a tournament uh have one heavy have one light have a couple that have magic boxes have one that doesn't have magic boxes but just have like five different setups yep yeah and then i think the way i'd want to do that uh have every yeah like what nick was saying have every four tables every four or five tables be one of each style but the kicker is for the top four tables of the event for one of each style those rotate each round. So when you have ranked tables, if you're at the top, you're not playing on the same table every, every, every game. So every round you have to adapt to each table format. 
I agree with that totally as well. Like at a war zone, I was on top table very early and I stayed on that table for the whole tournament. And so I knew that table backward and forward and I was just getting new people coming up to face me on that table for the past, for the last three rounds. So it's kind of like how, how the frontline guys do random tables up until what the last two rounds, right? And then they just do it ranked. Yeah, and I think they actually I think it was the last two. Yeah, they messed up. I think they messed up because they actually planned to do round four ranked tables also, but they forgot to take off the the button for that on BCP. So we should have been ranked that fourth round, but ended up we ended up not being ranked. Which yeah. I, which I was okay with. That but, seems uh, to at least shake it up early, right? Yeah, like I, I like it. I like to shake it up at least some. So I think the I think the rotating tables would be a good idea. I'd like to see some GTs implement that. Whether we'll see that or not, who knows? But uh, and also, I think that'll mix it up for the stream games too. So like, you don't just see the same table layout all five or six games of a stream for a GT. So the viewers get more interested. Like, oh, it's a new table. Oh, it's a new table. So it's more visually pleasing and kind of keeps the yeah. keeps the the stream watchers more engaged too. And as long as they don't um, attach like the cameras to the table, which I don't think they're doing. Um, you, you could pretty much just pick the table up and just like walk it, walk it out or just do a quick setup or something like that. It gives you a, a couple minutes in between the event where you can, you know, do a, do a quick, quick change there on the layout. Yeah. I mean, it only takes like five minutes to really change out the table. If you have like one or two people doing it in between rounds to switch out the, the mat and terrains for just the stream table and mm -hmm. other table. And then for the other three tables of the top four, you could just change the numbers uh, so you don't even have to move the tables around. You just change the numbers for which table is what for the order. Very cool. Well, guys, thank you very much for uh, taking a few minutes to just kind of run through the event and recap it again. You know, congratulations on the, on the results. You guys did awesome. Um, the, the event was a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully we can keep it up and uh, represent Texas at uh, LVO. So I know there's a, there's a huge contingent of us coming. Yeah, something like 25 Texas players going to be at LVO. So, yep, let's bring it. Let's bring yeah. it home. Yeah, if you if, if you uh, if you East and West Coasters are listening, watch out because we're bringing the Texas heat to y'all. Here we go. Challenges issued.